I'm Molly O'Connor. And I'm Sarah Connell Sanders. And you're listening to Pop It. This is the podcast for popping questions, popping bottles, and pop culture. <laughs> uh, well, I'm sad that we're back on the Zoom, but hey, I'm immunocompromised right now or something. <laughs> it's been that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're just trying to be safe. It's our school vacation week, but everything has gone to shit, as we might say. <laughs> the most eloquent um, way to put it, really. Uh, <laughs> really, yeah. Everyone, I don't think we need to explain to everyone what's going on right now. It's my, Although I will say that one of my favorite tweets about it was that someone was like, Omarion, which obviously is not the name, Omicron, Omicron. Omarion ruined my life once by breaking up B2K. I won't let him do it again. <laughs> People are just calling Omicron Omarion, like the singer, like the R&B singer. Oh, sure. I see. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, I just remember that one song, but I thought that that was very 20, very funny. I love it. Well, I hope you have lots of great tweets to relive for us in our 2021 pop culture recap. Yes, <laughs> not, not, I didn't go too crazy, but there's a couple of note nice and in Um, our little outline for this episode we said we're going to talk about things we read things we watched and things we listened to yes why don't we start with something that we both watched recently which is don't look up yes so I mean first of all I love Adam McKay's Worcester connection I had never seen the big shorts until recently. And I really enjoyed it. I love how he breaks the fourth wall. And there are these complex financial terms that need to be explained for you to understand the film. And so he'll be like, and now to Margot Roby in a bubble bath to explain how to short a stock or whatever. And and so I really love his style. I don't think don't look up does it in quite as nuanced a way. I agree. Um, I love the big short. I also really, really loved um, the movie Vice that he did about Dick Cheney. I thought it was like spectacular. Um, and I, I'm like a hundred percent on board basically. Like I thought that don't look up had funny parts. I thought that Leo was really, really good because he played a schlubby guy in his forties, which guess what guys? <laughs> He right. is. <laughs> um, well, I thought that was delightful though. Like I really, I, I really like the fact that he's finally like once he turned like 39, he decided to let himself be funny, which I like. Um, but I, I would agree this was very heavy handed, not like terrible by any means, but just like I did feel like I was being hit over the head with all of it. <laughs> It's satire. So if you haven't read it yeah. about the movie or seen it and it's, it's streaming on Netflix, so it's really accessible, but the premise is that there's a comet hurtling toward earth and these two astronomers discover it and no one will listen to them. Everyone's like way more concerned with what's going on in pop culture or like the entertainment side of or how to like win an election. Right. They, some people are like, Oh, well I can get votes. And then there's that whole element too of the like Steve Jobs, Elon Musk type. That part was legitimately scary. Entrepreneur. Yeah. That was that the was only real. part where I was like, this feels a lot less like satire and a little too close to home. And he did, Adam McKay conceived of the film prior to pandemic or like before 2020. And so yeah. 
I don't know that he expected it to hit so close to home. Right, it, it felt like double, you know, at one point I turned, I was watching it with my friend Shannon. And I was like, Shannon, I think it's climate change. Yeah. So and the like, comment is a like, metaphor. I was like, who knew? <laughs> but I started to feel like it was also the pandemic. Like, I think right. you're right. I think that all of a sudden it took on this whole other thing, which is crazy. But I did, I enjoyed watching it. Like, I thought it was fun to watch. It was a little long. I would say if you are inclined to liking that type of stuff, it's probably worth it, but it's not going to be maybe for everyone. There was this, which is weird. (laughs) This 30 minutes of the end where Timothy Chalamet and Jennifer Lawrence fall in love. And I'm like, where did he come from? This doesn't make any sense in the context of the movie, but I liked it. You know what I mean? It made me smile. And so in the end, I'm like, well, why not give Timothy Chalamet an arc? (laughs) Definitely. I liked that ending scene too, where they all got to get, well, I guess, spoiler alert. I feel like people yeah. can guess like, how the movie's going to end. There's um, an ensemble but, moment though. Yes. Uh, Melanie Linsky plays Leonardo DiCaprio's wife and she constantly like blows me away. She never plays like the star of stuff, but then she'll bring in these like powerhouse performances and you're like, oh my God. She was great. I thought. I think um, one of the most interesting moments of commentary is the fact that Leo's supposed to be the scientist and he quickly becomes a sex symbol. And he's still it's like, like a said, little cute. It's like a schlubby 40 year old. Yep. <laughs> yeah, but that's like totally the thing. Right. right. It's just because he's like, he's sort of, he's like, he's pretty cute. So yeah. Like, yeah. It reminded um, me a little bit of like the prime minister of Canada, you know, where people are totally. like, damn, Justin. Yep. <laughs> Just because like in that field or what we're used to seeing is not exactly that. So who knows? But the underlying theme of the movie too, it's sort of self-effacing in that we're like so obsessed with Ariana Grande's new song about climate change that we forget to do anything about the problem. And I am totally guilty of that. Like in this time of (laughs) terrible tragedy, I just want to know more about what motivated Olivia Rodrigo to write driver's license, you know? Oh, man, more. <laughs> exactly. Right. Oh, my God. And then we have, like, poor Joshua Bassett on the other end, who's just like, guys, I think I'm bisexual. Who is, <laughs> if you guys don't know, Joshua Bassett is the kid who allegedly, like, driver's license is mostly about. But he had his own little arc this year, which is very sweet. Because he was on the show with what's the uh, high school musical, the musical, the TV show, which is where yeah. Olivia Rodrigo kind of like came up from. I loved that whole album, though. Me too. That was one of the best things this year, I thought, even though and some people were like, well, she's like taking from Pole or she's taking from Paramore. And I was like, who cares? Those are awesome. Those are awesome bands. Yeah. And she went out of her way to credit Paramore later. Like, yeah, they were an influence. I didn't realize I had to credit them, but OK, I will. And so right, absolutely. I think that there were a lot of people who in this past year have just been dealing with a lot of big feelings in general, which I found useful for, from my perspective, but I also think there were a lot of people who were dealing with, you know, pandemic breakups or relationships or friendships even ending. And so I feel like it was a cathartic moment for all of us. You know, I had this moment in the car this summer with my six-year-old niece, my 30 year old cousin and my 35-year-old husband, 
And we were yep. all screaming uh, an Olivia Rodrigo song at the top of our lungs. I think it was good for you. We all knew yes. all the words. And I was like, wow, she really has spanned quite the generational gap, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. When I went to California this summer to visit my family, my cousin there is 14. And I was like, oh my God, like, I'm not cool enough to hang out with her anymore. <laughs> and I was nervous. Then I remember I was like, that song came on. I was like, do you like this song? We were on our way to Disneyland. I was like, how do you feel about it? It's good, right? And she's like, yeah. We've Anyways. talked about this before, but teen girls uh-huh. are the biggest predictors of trends and the voices that we are most likely to silence. So it's interesting. Yep. Brands really value their input. And then they're like, shut up. Um, Absolutely. Which, actually reminds me of a movie I loved about two teen girls. It was a buddy comedy about reproductive rights, but it was just so funny. And it took the issue of abortion really seriously while also having these extremely like clever, hilarious moments. It's called Plan B. It was directed by Natalie Morales. I think it's still streaming on Hulu. Yes, it was. I think it was the Hulu original. I loved it. Natalie Morales, you guys might recognize too. She's an actress. She's in a lot of stuff, but like she plays Lucy who ends up with Tom Haverford on Parks and Rec. I feel like it's the same similar audience, but she's great. And so this was her first feature, which is really cool. She was very adamant about having like two um, women of color as the stars who are both like you were like very, very funny. Yeah, I thought it was great. South Dakota. Which yes. is a different world, like from Massachusetts or, you know, where we always bring up Harley Chandler, but. Yes, our, yeah, that's yeah. a good point to make. Like, it doesn't take place. Senator Harry Chandler, right, is, has no qualms about encouraging uh, mm-hmm. girls' reproductive rights very early on to all women in our district. And yet in South Dakota, that is very much not the case in this film. And one thing I really like about it, too, is it's really not just about the abortion element. It's about the whole situation where, like, the girl who ends up pregnant was, like, so desperate to lose her virginity at this party that she does. And then it it's, like, with, not with the person she wanted it to be with. It turns into this whole thing. And I think that that speaks to a lot of people, too, like, that element of it where it you want this whole thing to be perfect or you feel like it has to be at this place or with this person. And I think for most people, it was sort of a letdown. Yeah. Right. Cause it's, you know, which is so much stuff in that moment or right. that rite of passage. And then it's yep. sure to disappoint. <laughs> um, and I, and I think the way that it also portrayed the two girls, the two main characters friendship, which is, also which is not perfect I think a lot of times that happens where it's like oh you know everything's fine and they really get frustrated with each other and have a big blow up and and there's a road trip you can't go wrong with a road trip movie you can't go wrong if that is very true so I was just thinking like last year I feel like I feel like last year or in the year 2020 early this year I was in very much a fog like I can hardly remember like what movies came out what happened And this year, I think that at least because we had like some parts of the year where people were comfortable going to the movies, I do think that it felt like a comeback a little bit just for like film, right? Film that you wanted in the movies that you really enjoyed, like at the movie theater. The only thing that I have seen in the movie theater since Cats, (laughs) which I saw in like February of 2020, 
I went to see West Side Story the other day and I'm really glad I saw it in a theater. So Steven Spielberg remade West Side Story or made his version, I should say. And he he collaborated with Tony Kushner, who is the writer of Angels in America, among many other things. And he's a genius. And so they got together and they they made the movie. They made it. It still was the 60s, but they contextualized it in a really, I thought, significant way that gave you a better sense of like why the white kids and the Puerto Ricans didn't get along and like what was going on. Um, they, they frame it immediately as like the neighborhood that the white kids all grew up in and that the Puerto Ricans are moving into is being demolished to put up Lincoln Center. Ah. And so then the whole film becomes like something that's under the umbrella of like living under capitalism, which it wasn't before. It's really great, but it was beautifully done. I, and like I said, I'm really glad I saw it in the theater just because the the visual elements and like the sound elements were just so extraordinary. And I think it's funny, like people on Twitter said this too, and they were like, oh, what, everyone is surprised that Steven Spielberg like made a good version of this movie. And I was like, yeah, why did I like think it wasn't going to be as good as it was? Like, of course it was good. It's Steven Spielberg, right? I read that it was the, or it could be the first remake of an Oscar winning film to win another Oscar. I wouldn't be surprised. It was beautifully done, I thought. And I did read some critiques from Puerto Rican folks, which I think were really interesting and sort of just broadened my vision of it because, you know, I watch it. I'm obviously a white girl and I think all these choices are so interesting. And from a lot of folks, they're like, guys, West Side Story still to us after 60 years feels like it's just like what white people think it was like for Puerto Rican people in New York in the 50s. Fair enough, right? I did really like the choice he made, though, to um, not subtitle Spanish. So he did that on purpose to, like, not hand the power back to the English-speaking audience, um, which I thought was really cool. I thought the actors were unbelievable. And they do, they make some minor changes to just, like, characterizations or who play, who sings what songs that I thought were really useful. But, yeah, it was beautiful. I was very, very glad I saw it in the theater. Like I said, I am sad that I missed Dune in the movie theater. Uh, did you ever end up seeing Dune? No, I did not. I know it was on HBO for a window, but I missed the window. What an event. <laughs> um, it was, it was crazy. Dune is awesome. So if you get, but Dune is well known as one of the best or like one of the, I don't know. What is it? Like the the upper echelon or is it echelon or echelon? Of echelon, um, echelon right? Of sci-fi novels, basically, right? And sci-fi world building. And so Denis Villeneuve, who did Arrival and Blade Runner, like Blade Runner 2049, among other things, he made this dude. And it was very cool. And I was reminded we were talking about Timothy Chalamet for a second there because he is the star of it. It's awesome. If you're into sci-fi, I say in like world building, I say, go for it. And if you're not, I say, don't, (laughs) um, (laughs) it's a beautifully made film and it's like gorgeous to look at, like, just like to be a part of. But I think that if you are not sort of interested or invested in it, I don't know, on some level, you might just not be super into it, which is fine. But it does remind me one of my favorite tweets is by Timothy Chalamet. And it was when Dune came out and all it is, is him writing Dune over and over again, like with different capital letters and different numbers as letters and like making it short and long. And it's very, very goofy. I was like, man, this kid, we love him, right? We can't get enough of Timmy Chalamet. Did you have any movies that you like wished you saw in a movie theater? 
I did see mm-hmm. one movie in the movie theater. Well, you know, what? okay, I take that back. I saw Power of the Dog on Netflix again, right? And didn't love it for the first half. I was I, like, okay, yep. this is definitely my husband's film. It's like very sprawling and the beautiful scenery oh, and the period yeah. costumes. And then you start to understand the quiet strength of one of the male characters, you know, and he plays with gender stereotypes. It's kind of like um, the end of the cowboy era. They're in Montana and it's a cowboy story told through a new lens that I recommend everyone sees. And I do, I think it's worth it to hang in there, enjoy the scenery for the first half, absorb the characters, and then you'll get the payoff. But the movie I saw in theaters was Licorice Pizza. I really want to see it. Paul Thomas Anderson's new one. It's basically a coming of age story. Yeah. It stars, it stars Alana Haim, right? Philip Seymour oh. Hoffman's son. And neither of them, the beauty of it, neither of the leads had ever been in a film before. And so they are just such fresh-faced actors. They're so, like, believable and authentic in their awkward moments. They don't wear a lot of makeup, so, like, acne is on full display. And there's so many scenes of them just running. I love kids on bikes movies. I always say that. This is, like, a kids running down the street movie. (sighs) You work in elementary school, so, you know, like, dismissal, kids, like, book it. They run places. And then in middle school, that starts to taper off. Like as you become a little cooler and more self-aware, you stop running everywhere. And that doesn't mean you don't still Mm -hmm. want to and have that kind of like urge to get there as fast as you can. And totally. Yeah. But there's a lot of them just breaking into sprints. (laughs) I love that. Personally, like I, lived in a situation in my early twenties or I was living in a summer camp and working at a middle school. And I was surrounded by a lot of adults who were a decade older than me. So they were like in the next stage of their life and a ton of kids that were a decade younger than me. And I just felt like I was in this in-between place. And Alana Haim plays this character who's in her early twenties. And she finds herself hanging out all the time with either this group of 15 year old kids or these like older Hollywood types who are sexualizing her. And I just, (laughs) it's flawed in many ways, but I felt for that awkward flailing in between time that she was suffering through. Absolutely. That is, that's great. I know I can't wait to see it. Before we started talking while we were recording, I said to Sarah, I was like, you saw it in the theater? Because I didn't even know it was up like around here. I didn't even Just as of New Year's. Power of the Dog though too, what you mentioned, like how beautiful and sprawling it is. It's directed by Jane Campion, who directed The Piano in 1991 or two. Anna Paquin won an Academy Award for The Piano when she was like 12. But that's like her thing. Like Jane Campion makes these like big, beautiful, like sort of epics that sometimes are romantic, sometimes are just like stories of sadness or redemption or whatever. Sarah, you mentioned being in between and up and down. And I think that you felt a kindred spirit this year <laughs> in your best friend, Taylor Swift. So we can talk. I feel like we did movies, right? Let's go to yeah, music. Yeah. You have nothing new. Was nothing new your favorite, like, of all of the new versions? I think it was. And it was a song she released from the vault that got scrapped when she originally released I was going to say, I don't know it. Yeah. And she recorded it with Phoebe Bridgers. And one of the biggest criticisms of Taylor Swift, which is very fair, 
is that she has not featured a lot of women on her albums, especially in a um, lead vocal role. Like she hasn't done many duets with women. And so for her to choose Phoebe Bridgers, I felt like was a, uh, a perfect match. And This song, really good. The strongest line I think is how could a person know everything at 18 and nothing at 22? Same kind of feeling, you know, you graduate yeah. high school, you're a senior, you're at top of the world. And then when you graduate college, you're like, oh my God. What is going on? <laughs> yeah. And I think that's true though, just in general of like cycles, right? Like I feel like you go through times when you think, you know, everything. And then five years later, you're like, wow. Like, it's not even just that one time. Right. I think you just have these times where you're like, oh man, like, and I think that's interesting because like Taylor didn't go, she didn't like go through a traditional like high school or college experience. And so then to have the same perspective at that age is interesting. It does. I think it does. Like when you're in your early twenties, that's just is how it feels. Right. I think she's referring, especially to the way that the music industry like sort of swallows up these young women and then spits them out. Like once yeah. you're not the cool young thing, like the Olivia Rodrigo anymore, yeah. they turn on you. Right. And I'm wary yeah. of that for Olivia Rodrigo. Right. I bet this year totally. we turn on her for some sort of scandal. Yeah. That's just the Wait. cycle that pop I think machine follows. Yeah. And we, we did talk about it though. I think they did. I think that like, that did almost happen to her where people were like, Oh, she did this. She did. She's, this she did this and I think that it did speak to a bit of a change in just the way that like young people were responding to that type of like attempt at drama or whatever where people are like relax like she's not it's fine like she said like she gave the credit and it's like okay it kind of blew over I thought which is a good thing because I think that that's something that in the past could have been really dangerous I really loved Lord's album this year and I think it's really interesting because I I've liked like all of her it's mostly some of them I didn't even like love but like I loved like Royals and I love Greenlight and like I liked a lot of that album but I've never been like super into Lord and then this album I really really enjoyed like a little change kind of I think it was like the production like how it sounded right I don't know I like I like to listen to music where I feel like I'm in a room with that person that's why I still listen to the shins in the year 2021 um but I really loved solar power I would hear it sometimes like on the radio on my way to school listen to terrestrial radio still and so they would play it on 92.5 the river my favorite radio station and I would hear it like on my like seven minute drive to school and I would like crank it and it was just like the best way to so I'm talking about solar power which was the single from the album it's it's winking about the whole thing like at one point she says I'm kind of like a prettier Jesus um god and I love it you're like we're all sort of in this witchy phase totally and so she's taking that idea of being like I've been treated it's similar to what we were saying where it's like she's been treated like put on a pedestal by all these people in the industry I loved that I also really love I just have to mention I really liked John Mayer's single Last Train Home I don't think it's a hot take to like the song but just in general you know it's still John Mayer I think if it Taylor sounded like drops her fearless re-recording either like tonight or tomorrow, which is, has been rumored in the Swifty community. I think John there is going to face a whole fresh reckoning, just like Jake Gyllenhaal oh, yeah. did. They didn't red come out after fearless though. She's been doing them out of order. Which like, whatever. That's what I thought. Yeah. I was just curious. Yeah. I just like, cause I was like, wait, but I loved that album. 
particularly that record though, because it sounds just like a 1980s Steve Winwood song. Steve Winwood is the guy who sings Higher Love. If you're not sure, like, bring me your higher love. But he had so many songs that literally just had that like smooth vibe. <laughs> like la- like this last straight home, which he-, he features Baron Morris on too, who's part of the high women who I love. Just well, to sing it, you know. Of the high women, my top genre on Spotify wrapped. They're marketing geniuses, by the way. I prefer Apple Music, honestly, but because I wanted to see my Spotify wrapped, I like switched yes. over in the last couple months. But my top genre, they called Stomp and Holler. And I was like, that's pretty spot on. I blame the Newport Folk Fest influence, but Stomp and it's, Holler is my vibe. It's your Lumineers. <laughs> yes, definitely. Hey, <laughs> right? Like, that's all it is. <laughs> what is it? The weekly recommendations called? Uh, like, Discover Weekly. Yes. They introduced me to a song by a band called The Wind and Wave called Happiness is Not a Place that Ooh. I listened to over and over and over all autumn. So Hi. thank you for that. What about you? What was your Spotify wrapped like? I love Discover Weekly. Um, my Spotify wrapped was as weird as ever because I listened to this one Leonard Bernstein album at bedtime, like a lot. And so that's always my top song is this one track. And then it's always just like a weird jumble of stuff. One of my, one of my genres this year was trip hop, which is because I've been listening to a lot of what is, what I would consider. I wouldn't know if, I don't think I would call what I've been listening to trip, trip hop, more like lo-fi electronica, like mass attack and Portishead and like all these bands. But I, but a lot of it then escalated into like a more hyped up thing. So like, MC like stereo MCs that song connected that's like better get yourself connected the writings on the wall all that one yeah like that type of stuff so I just I just was listening to a lot of British I guess trip hop electronica bands since you brought up my friends the Brits I powered through Great British Bake Off love Paul Hollywood got his cookbook for Christmas I'm sorry. Um, Betty White's dead. So just this what? just got into my email inbox. That's why I was like, yeah, Betty White is dead. Oh no. She was 99. Oh, she's so close. Oh God. Uh, break news everyone. When you hear this later on, uh, <laughs> and you already are aware of it. Sorry. I just, I got an email. I was like, what? Oh no. That is crazy. Yeah. I guess her birthday's in like two weeks. That sucks. Um, sorry, sorry, sorry. Anyways. Oh, well, um, <laughs> uh, I ran out of Bake Off content, switched to another show produced by the same group called mm-hmm. The Great Pottery Throwdown. Oh, Love that has it. Siobhan, um, <laughs> her face on it, right? Sister Michael from Dairy Girls. Um, oh, yes. I'm, yeah. I've just gone to that season because they've had three hosts over the course of the four oh, yeah. seasons. And then there's a new um, season coming out in 2022. But the most consistent judge or presenter, if you will, he is a lot like Paul Hollywood, except instead of a handshake, he cries, which is a little off-putting. So he'll be like really (laughs) mad by a piece of pottery and then cry. And like the first time it happens, you're like, oh, okay, that was a powerful reaction. And then by the 15th time it happens, you're like, all right, man, that's enough. Yeah, that's, that's strange. Like I watch a lot of those, you know, I watch all those like cooking competition shows. And I feel like if there was someone who like cried all the time, I would think it was really odd. Yeah. His name is Keith. 
he's sort of the only downside. I wish he would just switch to handshakes, but that aside, the great pottery throwdown is very calming and yeah. their British accents and the pace at which it goes, it's really similar to bake off in that there's like a technical challenge and then a larger challenge that they're working they on like showcase something that they, yeah. Yeah. It's great stuff to fall asleep to. <laughs> I love that. I tried to watch the flower fight, which had like a similar thing. I watched like one episode. It was not great. It's like slow. It's dry. It's just like not interesting. The only, and the reason I watched it was that Nastasha Dimitriou was one of the presenters on it, who is the star of one of my favorite shows, What We Do With The Shadows. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, she's a genius. She's the funniest woman I've ever seen. So I like put it on. <laughs> um, but that had its second season this year and it it only gets better. It is, if you are not familiar, it is a show about a bunch of vampires who live in Staten Island. Um, and it's based on a movie that came out in like 2013 or 14, I think. I highly recommend this show. It is absolutely ridiculous. I know, Sarah, you were not a huge fan of the movie, but your husband enjoyed it. Oh, loves it. Definitely. And you know, I haven't yeah. tried it. I saw it in a theater with somebody who was a real curmudgeon and hated it and walked out. So I think I need to try again. Yes. Yeah. With, um, with a new <laughs> understanding of pop culture. <laughs> right. Maybe. But I think also like the TV show, just by virtue of being like a half hour show in some ways is a little bit more accessible too, which is good. There are three vampires who have very big personalities <laughs> and they live with an energy vampire in a house in Staten Island um, an energy vampire is kind of a mystery. He has not figured out exactly what his whole deal is yet, which is funny. Like the character, he basically bores people and sucks out all of their energy. And then he's like, he, you know, he, that's instead of blood. It's very, very silly though. And like I said, oh no, sorry. This was season three that just aired. Oh man, I'm behind. No, I watched season three. I just forgot that there were three seasons. It also has like, the character played by Nastasia Dimitriou is she's like the only primary woman character on the show. And she is unbelievably funny. Like I just love her so much. So another comedy that I really enjoyed was the other two on HBO. It's about basically it's as if Justin Bieber has two older siblings who are like kind of trying to find their way and ride his coattails, but while maintaining their own sense of self. And it's so funny. It stars Molly Shannon and she ends up being the biggest star of all, which is like a running gag half hours. uh, My favorite episode definitely is on her show, she has this run of gay young men coming out to their fathers on the show. And there's this couple that goes on the show and they just want the prize money. You get like $10,000 or something if you agree to do it. And so it's actually a couple. It's an older man and then a like, daddy. Yeah, a daddy. And then they call the other one a twink in the episode, yeah. which is I, I don't know. How would you describe that archetype? I don't even think we need to at this point in yeah. time. I think we know what a twink is, okay. right? Well, I, I'm like, you should know what a twink is. I'm sorry. It's, it's been it's in Alexa like, for 20 years. But they're at this point where they have to keep the gag going because they run into Molly Shannon's family outside oh, of yeah, the show. 
and it's hilarious. Just the comedy is so pure. Yep. I love it. So I highly I recommend the other two. Uh, yeah, I'm glad. So it aired, the first season had aired and then HBO rescued it basically like HBO Max. It was on Comedy Central. It kind of ended and then HBO Max, thank God, came up with this new season that came out a few months ago. It really is. It's unbelievably funny. Um, one thing I really love about it is that it does a great job of walking this line between like skewering our current culture and just like the way that like the entertainment industry is or like the way that the algorithm works or what people are into, but it also very lovingly like embraces it in the same way, which I, I love it. Like, cause I feel very, I feel very seen by the other two. Yes. <laughs> like there's a moment in like the second episode or something where Brooke, who's the sister just like keeps answering people's questions or like asks by going in this climate. that's such like because you hear that all the time but then she starts using it for things that are like they just want her to do an errand and she's like in this climate and so I think it it does really speak to especially because it really is more about both the mom and then the older brother and sister I think that it has that very millennial sensibility of like feeling afloat and kind of lost and like all of a sudden your brother is this viral star and you have like nothing to show for being almost 30, right? And I think that that's a little bit how a lot of people who are currently in their 30s have felt or do feel. And another running gag is they love their brother Chase so much, this Uber-esque child, but he is completely talentless. And yet the world is obsessed with him and thinks he's the greatest thing, yeah. Speaking of being like 30, and having feeling like you have nothing to show for at 31. I have been watching the Beatles documentary, Get Back on Disney Plus. I am a I will preface this by saying that I am a really, really, really big Beatles fan. You know, I've bought into a lot of the mythology or flipped it, or I've like I when I was in college, I went out, it was I think it was like 20, 2009 or 2010, they re-released every single album that they made on like stereo and mono. And they did all these things. And like, I went out to Newberry comics on Newberry street and like bought all of them. So I am all in obviously on this. I also will say that I enjoy, I love watching. Like part of the reason I watch award shows is not for like the dresses or the awards. It's because I just like to watch people like in an, in a slightly more natural environment, like just like interacting with each other like I watch award shows to see people's reactions basically like not scripted but I was watching this and I was like oh my god because I'm first of all I'm watching and I'm like like Paul like they're so they're all so cute I was like these guys and then they start playing they're playing together they're jamming they're writing they're chatting and I was like how old are they none of them were older than 29 (laughs) this is their second to last album that they ever made as a band that they ever recorded as a band and none of them were even 30. Like <laughs> I was sitting there and I was like, oh no. And you see Paul playing every single instrument, having all these like crazy, like bursts of creativity and like time signatures. And I'm like, how yeah. even I highly recommend it though. If you're interested in either the Beatles or like the creative process for musicians at all, Peter Jackson took this footage that had already been filmed essentially, which is unbelievable. It's beautiful to look at. The colors are amazing. Restored it. And then essentially like turned it into sort of a new narrative, but there's no other people. It's not, there's no talking heads or anything. So it's just that footage with some subtitle or narrative 
kind of tying it together. It's eight hours. Yeah. So well, I've gone I have two hours. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not finished with all of it. Someone pointed out, they were like, it's kind of interesting to have this type of document for like any 60s band. It's just insane that it's the Beatles. Like, cause you know, all the songs, you know, the, you know, all the characters and it's just, it's really cool. And John and Paul really like, they only have eyes for each other. That is also really fascinating. Like they're so mean to George. <laughs> yeah. Well, what they have, there's an entire conversation that takes place where John and Paul talk about like, it's a private conversation where they talk about how they need to get George back. And they both talk about how they both have to start letting him contribute more creatively. Paul is like, no, that's not the way I want it. That's not the way I want it. That's not the way I want it. John does the same thing. And so they kind of tell each other that, but I think that they're the only two who can have that conversation with each other. They really were like functionally in an entirely separate relationship, like a, like just like a platonic love situation. And you can see it too. Like you can see the way that they look at each other. You can see like Paul will start playing something and he'll just, he'll just like be like, John, what do you think? Like, they just want to, impress each other it's really quite something I, and I think that they were soulmates so if you're interested in watching John and Paul kind of be soulmates and Ringo being like an impish sort of sleepy angel and George trying to be like guys I'm good too it's great honestly like so many people in my orbit have been absorbed by it and just completely fallen in love and for me, it's kind of a long slog, <laughs> but I'm going to keep going. I understand the cultural relevance. Something else yeah. that paid off for me that was a long watch was the show Made on Netflix. Yes, I haven't watched it, but part of the reason I haven't watched it, and you will speak to this a little bit, is that everyone's like, it's kind of hard. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. I'm very glad I watched it. And yeah. in the end, there's like an empowering ethos that pays off but it's tough it's about this girl named Alex and she's in an emotionally abusive relationship that's very scary and probably familiar to just about anybody whether it's someone in your circle or yourself but you've seen maybe even just the margins of it creeping through where you're like I hope that woman's okay at home you know and um something's off or that man is not being kind to her in a way that makes me nervous. That's kind of what you get to see. And then when you follow her home, you realize just how terrible it is. Very early on, she ends up in a homeless shelter and she's got a little daughter who's so sweet and she starts cleaning houses to make ends meet. And it just kind of illuminates all of the weak points in our social care system in America. And then on top of all of that, her mother, who's her mother in real life, Andy McDowell, uh, the actresses are yes. really mother and daughter. And you can see that on screen, their chemistry and their relationship. But she's also struggling with her mental health. And the daughter feels like she's not only got to be a mother to her own daughter, but also to her own mother. Yes. And yeah, it's hard to watch. But man, is it honest and accurate. So recommend. <laughs> I really like this idea too. So like, so Margaret Qualley is the main actress, right? Her mom is Annie McDowell, who like people would recognize just like from the nineties. <laughs> I don't know. Is it like Olay or something? She does yeah. like their like skincare commercials. She's, she is very beautiful. And she was in like, she's in four weddings and a funeral and um, Groundhog Day. 
she's always like good in those things, but I feel like she never got a chance to really be in like an actor. And so I kind of love this thing. And I think it's been happening a lot lately, not just with women, but just like older actors are getting the chance to have these like kind of more meaty parts and really show what they can do, you know, Laura Dern. Or during absolute Coolidge, right? Like Jennifer Coolidge is Stifler's mom. She did all these, she's extraordinarily funny, right? She's like the funniest person I've ever seen. She's in all these Christopher Guest movies. And then she gets into one of our favorite shows of the year. Oh my God. The White Lotus. White Lotus. Might be like the sort of, for me, I don't even, I don't know if it was like my favorite, but I feel like it was like the banner show of 2021. And it was appointment television. I tuned in every like, oh my God. Yeah. There's a new one. Um, Yeah. It was so good. And I know we talked about a little bit on another episode, but I just think that not, and it was the show itself, but the discourse around it, I thought was actually like, not, I feel like sometimes it can be so toxic. And I feel like in this case, and I, I don't know if maybe it's because Mike White, like the writer and creator engaged with it rationally. But like, I thought that it was really productive discourse. The show deals a lot with class issues, a little bit with race, a little bit with like colonialism, all this different stuff. And so, you know, he tried, there were some people who were like, didn't think that it was complete necessarily. I don't think he got really any pushback being like, wow, you are the problem. But he got somewhere. It was like, this wasn't the whole story. It still centered the white people. It still did this. And he very thoughtfully responded to a lot of that, which was really cool. But on top of all that, the show was also very funny. <laughs> yes, it, a comedy shared some of the fiber of Succession, another show we both totally. loved. <laughs> Season mm-hmm. three of Succession. Oh, man. It They've been a- characterizing or character building since the very beginning so that everything mm-hmm. will fall exactly it's- where it's supposed to. Yes, it's so crazy. I just got um, my boyfriend to finally watch it. And he had watched the pilot like a couple of years, like when it first came out and like, wasn't super into it. And I was like, you know what? Let's listen, like start on episode two. Finally, it was like, it clicked. I think it's like, and I actually love the pilot of succession, but I think for some people, like he was not connect. He like couldn't connect to it because the first episode was very expository. I feel, but I always say that part of the reason I love the very first episode is, is that it immediately without smoke and mirrors or anything, just like it tells you who the characters are right away. Like, it's just like, this is who these people are. Welcome to their world. Let's go. Um, And it doesn't give you any illusion of like, that they're going to be more kind or more altruistic or whatever than they are. It just is like, here, there. So let's go. Um, They're horrible people. It's brilliant. Uh, And you're not meant to develop any sort of empathy toward them. And I love that because I don't know a lot of shows that do that with their main characters. (laughs) Right. I think that there were situations, right. Where like Mad Men or Breaking Bad or the Sopranos even felt kind of similar to that in some ways. And it it is interesting to see like who people do get attached to though. Like I love Jerry. Yes. And I mean, cousin Greg, come on. But like and it's that, but, but let's think about that, right? Greg still is or tries to be kind of like the innocent. Jerry never really does, but there's something about her where you're just like, I love this lady. She's a straight shooter, like, and she's powerful. I and I, I guess this is more like Jay, is it Jay Smith Cameron? Yeah, the actress, but she holds it 
too. Like she, I don't know. The consummate professional of a certain era. Like she was trained mm-hmm. to be a businesswoman in the eighties and yes. she loved the Sheryl Sandberg lean in kind of school. But she also has this contemporary sentimentality where she knows how to deal with characters like Roman in 2021. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speaking she's of very, <laughs> She's very, yeah, she's very shrewd. Yeah. She's very discreet. Oh, um okay. This was a good year. I mean, I think that TV is just the thing in general because we're still kind of in that lockdown kind of thing, right? Did you read anything that you loved? I didn't read any books. I've gotten so bad at reading books. I have been reading So Gawker is Back, um, which I I read Gawker for like every day for like nine years when it was still a thing. Um, And it's back and it's, and they're they're like, we're back and we're nice. Because that was like the whole thing before. And it's really great because it kind of is nice, but it's also still this in the spirit of like punching up and being very funny and snarky, but less of the like the sort of stuff that got it shut down, I guess, in the first place. So I have been really enjoying that. Um and I finally subscribed to New York magazine. So it's like intelligencer. Hey vulture the cut like I just read that every single thinking I was like man I need to like get myself back on reading and I need to figure out how to like hook my I used to read like a book a week when I was in college right like I used to be so good at reading and I'm not anymore so I'm like how can I hook myself back in maybe I will read a babysitter's club book (laughs) honestly like at this point I'm kind of in the same boat or like I you know I'm still making my way through Sally Rooney's new novel that I was so excited about. And I think right now, especially given some of the like flashbacks to 2020 that have been going on lately where things seem to be ramping up again. And I'm like, no, I need lighter fare. One of the books I read real easy read, but smart and revealing was called who is Maude Dixon? I think I've mentioned it before, but it's about this girl who thinks she's so deserving of success. And then she becomes the assistant of a best-selling author. They go to Morocco and the author disappears. And rather than report the disappearance, she starts impersonating this woman. Oh, I love that. It's really wonderful. So I, I liked that a lot. It was a good read. I also attended the Worcester Public Library Foundation's annual fundraiser, and they always have a couple of authors who come and speak. And there were two women who write like women's fiction. They're both New York Times bestsellers, but they write easy beach reads, and they would tell you that. Elin Hildebrand and Jane Green. And I bought a bunch of their books because I was like, you know what? These ladies are doing exactly what my dream job is. Like, I would love to write New York Times beach books <laughs> right crank so, them out even hildebrand is huge like she she was so is kind. huge yeah is she yeah. yeah and she was um, so funny too she showed cool. up in this sequence pink dress and everyone else is in there like after work cocktail party kind of vibe like jackets yeah. and you know, you know and, yeah yeah and um she was just like owned it you know and then she got up there and she starts telling this story about going to the Iowa Writers Project which is the most prestigious MFA program in the country if you've watched Girls I think it's where Hannah goes uh in the final seasons but she talked about showing up for the first day she had just come from Nantucket she was a week late and didn't realize it 
And she had this idea that she was going to throw a cocktail party for all her new classmates. And she's like, I walked in, I think I was wearing this outfit. And she looks down at the sequins dress and I'm just picturing her surrounded by these like really wet blanket types, literary ingenues. And she had such a great sense of humor about herself. And then Jane Green too, her new book is about the Gettys. And the time they spent in Marrakesh in Morocco on their honeymoon, entertaining all of these celebrities. Yeah. And, um, so I was talking to her. I was like, well, guess what? I went on my honeymoon in Marrakesh. And she's like, oh, my God, honey, where did you stay? And um, she's British. And I was like, oh, we see that La Mamonia. She's like, oh, that's where you go. If you want to hang out with Russian oligarchs, you need to stay at these. I don't know. She gave me all these <laughs> recommendations. Specific thing to say. I know, but she was like really just honest and candid and easy to talk to. And afterward, I was with my friend Abby, and Abby was like, Should we invite her out for a drink? <laughs> and she was like, Oh, I've got to go back to see my son. I'm going home. But yeah, I, I really liked her. I felt like she was my pal. <laughs> I love that. I love when you just like, I feel like some people are just like that. Did you read the book about the Gettys? It comes out in April. So I pre ordered oh, it. Because yeah. I would love to read it because I have spent hours and hours on the um, Wikipedia page on all of them, all the Gettys, <laughs> just like reading them all, tabs everywhere. Um, so I would be very interested in that book. That sounds awesome. When the newest Getty It Girl got married in um, California, she had like a Vogue mm-hmm. spread and it was the week after this event where I had met Jane. And so I Instagram messaged her and I was like, you following this? And she's like, oh, darling, of course. <laughs> oh, yes. That's really but, funny. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. So those are my fun reads that I've been working my way through this vacation. Mm-hmm. I know I got to get back in it. I have been reading Twitter. Nice. <laughs> One of my favorite things that happened this year on the internet was that video that Steve from Blue's Clues made. I don't know if you watched it. I cried. <laughs> Blue's Clues is like back on TV in a new version, right? Like, you know, they always do that, like for children. But I feel like it was one of those things that like kind of never really left the consciousness of like people of a certain age. It just existed, right? And so the actor who played Steve left at a certain point in time. I think it was like after I was not watching the show anymore, but I think this was started airing when I was literally like five. So it was like, I was right in that window. Steve left for college. That's what they said. I think that they must've been filming some documentary or something, but they got him to just like record a video. It's like three or four minutes. It's like three minutes long, might be even shorter. He like kind of acts like Steve, but he's talking to adults. He's talking to the kids that used to watch him. And it's really moving <laughs> just like, cause it's, and it's so specific, right? Like you really feel like you're like, yeah, like that's me. I was that kid. Um, it's so weird, but it became this whole thing. Like on the internet, it kind of blew up. See in your notes that you're asking me about my top T-Swift moment. Oh yeah. What's your, what's your, what's like the best, <laughs> most specific Taylor Swift thing? Well, I do love okay. speaking of like internet driven storylines. She released all this old music mm-hmm. and- Joe Jonas is the subject of some of her songs. They were in a relationship when they were both very, very young and early in their yeah, they careers. Were like 17 or 16 in like, yeah, the Disney phase of their careers. And he's now married and he's like a father with Sophie Turner, right? I loved it. I just love that she totally embraced Mr. Perfectly Fine. She like posted the song, which was supposed to be insulting her now husband. She's like... Uh, 
And she's like, this is a bop. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I just, I really liked that, that like, we can all appreciate that this is old music resurfacing for a good a lot of things that happened. Yeah. And we've all moved on, you know? Yep. I think she's so funny, Sophie Turner. I love her. <laughs> yeah. um, this did not happen this year, but there's, there's a clip of her, like a hockey game. Yes. And they put, her on, put her on the Jumbotron and she just chugs her, her glass of wine. <laughs> Oh, it's iconic. <laughs> My best friend, Sophie. Um, but by that uh, same token, we all gave your boy Jake Gyllenhaal a hard time this year. Jake. And I thought her casting of her, she did like her 10 minute version of All Too Well, which revealed yeah. a lot of the reasons I think why we edit music. The five yeah. minute version that she released 10 sure. years ago is a perfect song. I think it's beautiful. And the 10 minute version is clunky and we wanted it and I relished in it, but like she reveals her editing process, which I thought was cool. And then she made this film to go along with it. And she cast Sadie Sink, who's 19 and very much an eight girl right now where we're all like, oh, she's from Stranger Things, little redhead. We're like, what's she going to do next? Juxtaposed Mm -hmm. with Dylan O'Brien, who is 30, which is the same age difference that she and Jake Gyllenhaal had when she was in a relationship with him. He's got a similar vibe. Similar vibe and like he was up and coming in 2014 when Sadie Sink was a little girl and he was in the Maze Runner, which was probably targeted at like 11 and 12 year olds then. And she saw him, I'm sure, as a big star, but now she's the big star and she's still kind of cast in this light where she she just thinks he's the best thing since sliced bread and yeah. she can get a lot get away with a lot of bullshit and um I thought the casting was very smart yeah I think it definitely is I also think that like going back to what you said too where it's like it reveals her editing process I feel like that the re-release of that full version like needed the film I think that she I think that fans wanted the song but I think that she felt better about it making it into something beyond just the song if that makes like there's sense. There's a reason why it's 10 minutes long. Yeah. It's got this creative component that's visual. Sure. It is good casting. He, Dylan O'Brien is great, but he got into like a really bad car crash a couple years ago that like halted his career for a little while. His face got a little messed up. Isn't that interesting? So now I think he looks well, a little bit more gritty. This could put a, uh, a cinch in my thesis. I don't know. Maybe he hasn't been working as much because of that. He's back though. So it's fine. Yeah. He was on Curb Enthusiasm this season. So also a great watch of 2021. I did. I'm not excited about anything right now. <laughs> you like, I'm excited for something. I'm like, no, I guess I'm excited to like eventually see Spider-Man not in a theater. I'm excited for June. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but I wish you the happiest new year. And I'm so happy I got a little FaceTime with you. Me too. I missed you. I have been Sarah. I've been Molly. And it's the puppet. <laughs>